and the, the uh, slogan of that commercial was all I really remember, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. And I think as we, we think about that in light of our current culture, in light even of our, our own faith in Christ, we realize that that's true for us as well. Our minds are a terrible thing to waste. And we look at our culture, we see all the things going on around us, we understand uh, the depth of the depravity more and more every day. Uh, our society seems to be moving away from uh, any sense of morality uh, into a, a, uh, just a chaos that is out there. In Mark 12, 30, the Lord says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the mind is important. We've been looking at the attributes, again, of a Christian mind over the past six weeks and been reminded that here in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, that this is not an uh, external checklist. It's not just something we can check off, but actually it's something produced in us by God. Dennis has reminded us this is a description of how we were designed to think. This is the way God created us and designed us from the very beginning. And so as we realize uh, because of the fall, because of sin, because of all the, the uh, depravity in our world, we no longer think like we were created to think. Uh, we need to go back and understand how we can do that, uh, how we can go back and think correctly the way God designed us to do that. Uh, the ungodly mind is described for us throughout Scripture in terms that are very sobering, uh, we no longer, again, think like God created us, but instead, if you look at Romans chapter 1, there's that great section that talks about the spiral away from God, how man continues to move away. And three times in that passage, it uses the phrase, God gave them over. And it talks about God gave them over to a depraved mind. Uh, the, the mind of man outside of Christ is sinful and depraved, unable to think godly thoughts, unable to do godly things. Uh, in Romans 1, as it describes that the mind of man suppresses truth, it rejects God, it's foolish in its speculations, their foolish hearts are darkened, professing to be wise, they became fools, they exchanged the glory of God for a counterfeit, they are lusting in their hearts, they are exchanging truth for a lie, they are worshiping the creature rather than the creator. They've been given over to degrading passions, they've exchanged the natural for the unnatural, they commit indecent acts. And God gave them over to a depraved mind. That's the world we live in. Uh, the world of the non-believer is, is described by those terms and those phrases to help us realize, well, no wonder the world is as bad as it is. We shouldn't be surprised that, uh, that the world does what it does when they don't know Christ. Because the mind outside of, of a relationship with Christ will continue to exhibit those traits. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So perhaps you've had conversations with an unbeliever, and you're trying to get them to understand the grace of the gospel, and they just don't get it. Well, that's because the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Uh, the person whom you're talking just can't see it as you share the truth of Christ. In Ephesians 2, we're told that uh, we are indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and are by nature are children of wrath, even as the rest. Where Ephesians 4, Paul says, uh, Firm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Uh, the, the unsaved mind is futile. The unsaved mind doesn't know how to think or what to think. Colossians 1, 21, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So the unregenerate mind is hostile to the things of God. 
Why is it that, that some people are so uh, adamantly opposed to you and to the gospel and to the fact that you're a Christian? Why do people uh, persecute those around the world? It's because the unbelieving mind is hostile to the things of God. In Titus 1.15, Paul says, To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Both their mind and their conscience have been defiled. So again, it, it just paints a picture of the world around us, and Paul sums it up in Romans 8 with the contrast. He says, The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God, it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. So that's the, the, as we look at the world around us and we realize that we have come out of that, so we've been saved, Christ has brought us into a new relationship, the question is, why do we still think like the world? Why do we still think like a lot of our non-believing friends? Why are we not different or more different than the world around us and the things that we think about? Someone once said, what does your mind think about when you don't have to think about anything? It's a good indicator of where your heart really is. Uh, when you don't have to think about things and, you're, and your mind begins to drift off into uh, the things of this world, or your mind begins to drift off into uh, to, to certain television shows or things you've listened to or things you've read or things you've looked at, that gives an indication of where your heart is at. Jesus said, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, the fornications, the thefts, the murders, the adulteries, the deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. No one commits these outward sins without first having thought about it. And if you look at the book of James, he describes the process that a thought comes into your mind, the thought brings temptation, temptation brings lust, lust it brings forth sin, and sin brings death. We don't just automatically jump into the big things. You think about it first, and your mind begins to process it. So what's the answer? Uh, the answer is the gospel. The answer is that uh, it's salvation. When we trust in Christ, the Bible says we become brand new creations. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old is gone. Everything has become new. That includes your mind. Galatians 2.20 I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, uh, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live by faith, I live, by, excuse me, I, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Your mind, the old mind, was crucified with Christ. You have a brand new mind that's been given to you. So again, as we finish this series in Philippians 4, 8, and 9, remember that God is describing a way of thinking that is not just a possibility, but it should be a reality to those of us who have trusted Christ. To those of us who are in relationship with him, our minds are new and are transformed by the Holy Spirit. So let me pray as we, uh, we jump into our passage for this morning here. Father, we are so grateful that you have not left us with uh, depraved minds, that you have not left us with hostile minds, that you have not left us with defiled minds, because in, in faith in Jesus Christ, you have made us brand new, including our minds and the way we think and the thoughts. So help us today to see, as we finish this passage, uh, how your work in our lives and how your spirit is bringing about uh, truth and a new way of thinking that we might become even more like Jesus. And so I pray now that the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So let's read the passage one more time here. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. 
Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. So again, our text in verses 8 and 9, there are two commands. The first one in verse 8 will be uh, to think. The first command that Paul has after this whole list of, of attributes is we need to think. We need to be Christians who, knew, who know how to use our mind and who can think rightly. And then the second command will be at the end of verse 9, and that is to do, to practice, to put into practice the things that you have learned. Our minds and our thinking should affect our behavior. We think about things in order to do them. We don't just think nice thoughts to sit in our chairs. And so the way we have been described here in verse 8, all of these different attributes should create in us a newness of life that shows itself in our actions and our behaviors and the things that we do and the things we're involved in. But there is a battle going on for the mind of believers. Even though we've come to faith in Christ, we can't just sit still. We need to realize we have an enemy that hates us, an enemy that actively works against us, an enemy that's trying to trip us up, an enemy that's, an enemy that's trying to, to make us think thoughts that aren't pure and aren't of God. Remember, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. Instead, we are wrestling with principalities and powers and the rulers of this wickedness in the heavenly places. We have a spiritual battle going on, and that battle rages for our minds. The greatest battle, the battle I believe many believers are losing, is in the battle for our minds. Instead, we need to stand firm. We need to put on the full armor of God and be ready for the battle that is there. Harry Blamires wrote a book called The Mind of Christ. It came out about 1960. Uh, it's a phenomenal book. And one of the things he said is the collision between a Christian mind and a subtly earthbound culture ought to be a violent one. The collision between a Christian mind and a solidly earthbound culture ought to be a violent one. Do you have violent clashes with your culture? Are you having those violent clashes with a, a worldview that is against God? Uh, or have we grown so complacent and so peaceful in living in this world that we don't even notice that there's a, a battle going on? I think we should desire that collision. We should desire to have that violent collision as we pursue the Christian mind. So we're under constant assault from the world, and, and we need to change the way we think, and we need to change the way we're being conformed uh, into the world. And in in uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul says, don't be conformed. Uh, another translation was, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I like that. The world is trying to make us like itself. The world is trying to make us think differently and act differently than what God would desire of us. But again, the answer to that is to have a different way of thinking, to have our minds transformed by that. God has commanded us to think. God has commanded us to use our minds. God wants us to be people who are rational and logical. God wants us to be people who can go to the word and, and tell people, here's what it says. We need to be thinkers. We need to be actively uh, engaged with our minds. Remember in Isaiah 118, God says, come now, let us reason together. God wants us to use our minds. Let's think through this thing. He didn't say, let's come together and feel together. Or he didn't say, let's come together and experience this together. He said, come, let us reason. We need to begin thinking and understanding the word of God. And then Matthew 16, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus, and they said, we want to see a sign. 
We want you to show us a sign and, and do something spectacular. But Jesus instead said, no, I'm not going to give you some spectacular sign. And said, I want you to know, I want you to study what you already know. Go to the word of God. What does it say? You need to believe that. In another place, uh, he reminded him, even though someone is raised from the dead, they won't believe in, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets. Go to the scriptures. The scriptures already tell you what you need to believe. That's why the Bible is a book. That's why God didn't give us a movie. God didn't give us a series of music videos. He didn't release a podcast. He gave us a book. And as you read the book, there's not a, an organ playing in the background. Nobody's humming. It's, it's, it's words on a page. But words on a page inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as we go into this book and we begin to saturate our minds in this book, we do develop the mind of Christ. That's one of the great promises that Paul gave us, that we have the mind of Christ because we have the word of God. Scriptures assume that the first priority is that we will think because we need to read and we need to comprehend and we need to understand so that we can apply it into our lives and become more like Christ. So how do we do that? How do, how do we begin to develop this mind? Uh, again, in Romans 12, 2, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So there's a process of transformation that needs to take place. We're, we're going from one thing in, into something else. We're being morphed uh, just like a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. We're being changed into something new. Our minds are being changed and transformed. In Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So our minds need to be renewed. We, we can't just rest in what we were. We need to be renewed and constantly becoming more and more aware of the scriptures. Or Colossians 3, set your mind on the things above, not the things of this earth. Where, where do you, again, where's your focus? As you go through an everyday, where's your focus? Are you thinking about the things of God? Is your mind set on those things? Or is it, is it wrapped up in the world and the world system and the world's thoughts? We need to set our minds on the things above. And the passage we're looking at, what are we supposed to do? Let your mind dwell on these things. That our minds are, are, are the, the great instrument that are going to change our behavior and change the way we live our lives. So our minds need to be renewed and transformed and set on things above. Uh, the renewed mind is going to play a vital role in loving Jesus. Again, Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our minds even help us in our love of Christ. Again, as Paul talks about being transformed, remember, this is a big deal. We cannot stay as we were. In fact, if you have been a Christian for a period of time and your thinking hasn't really changed or your understanding of the scripture hasn't really changed or your love of God has not really changed, then there might be a reason to say maybe your profession of faith isn't real. When you believe in Jesus Christ and you've been a brand new creation and your mind is being transformed and changed, you will be different. So again, the Christian mind is formed and educated by the Bible. There can be no true Christian thinking without this attitude that Christ had, that this is the word of God. When he was tempted, what did he do? Three times, it is written. He went to the scriptures and he said, this is what God says. And he correctly quoted from Deuteronomy uh, to, to beat off the, uh, the assault of Satan in that. In John 17, he says to his disciples that God's word is truth. And we are sanctified in this truth and set apart in this truth. So if we accept the, the so-called uh, assured results of modern criticism, uh, then we're going to never be the people God wants us to be. We need to realize that we are countercultural, that we are different from the world, that we think different thoughts, and we have a different source of truth. We have the real source of truth in our lives. If you've ever seen The Truth Project, uh, it's a great 
uh, series that Dell Tackett did, and when he says, how do you know that what you believe is really real? Or how do you know what true truth really is? Well, again, we live in a culture that everything is relative. We live in a culture that, that the tolerance is the, the primary virtue. You can believe and do anything you want to believe and do, and I have no right to say otherwise. But the scripture says, no, there is one true truth, and that's the word of God revealed to us. Our minds need to be wrapped around the Bible just as Jesus showed us. And also the Christian mind is centered not only on the word of God, but centered on Jesus Christ as well. Uh, again, by him, all things hold together, earth, under the earth, above the sky. All things were made by him and for him. He can say nothing wrong. His work of redemption is complete. He accomplished everything necessary to bring us into the presence of God. He is our wisdom. He is our righteousness. He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. So as Christians, we have something to think about. We have a person to think about, not only the word of God uh, written, but the word of God incarnate in Jesus Christ. So that's the wonderful news. That's the way we get out of this. But the question is, why do we still struggle? Why are we not there yet? How come it's taking me so long to get better? It's discouraging sometimes. It, we have all these promises. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the truth. We have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But I'm just not getting any better. So what's the answer? How do we get the bad stuff out and put the good stuff in? Great illustration. If you have a milk bottle and it's empty and it's full of air, uh, how do you get the air out of that bottle? Now, you may think, well, I just hook up my vacuum cleaner and suck the air out. Well, but as soon as you remove the vacuum, the air goes back in. Or, or think, well, I'll just try to put my mouth on and suck the air out of it. But you know how you get the air out of a bottle? You put something else in. As you put liquid into the bottle, it drives the air out. And the same thing is true of our minds. You want to get rid of the bad stuff in your mind? you got to put something else in. And the something else are these characteristics we've been looking at over the past weeks. Uh, again, as we pour those into our lives, as we pour these eight things into our, our minds and begin to change our thinking, it will begin to expel the bad. That's one way we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. The more we think about, the more we put the word of God into our minds, then we become more and more like Jesus. So that's just the introduction. I want to jump into to, uh, Philippians 4 and, and finish up these eight attributes and, uh, and the commands that uh, Paul has given us there. Again, Dennis has done a, just a masterful job going through and defining and explaining all these terms. Uh, again, the idea of what everything is true, uh, idea of truth, that, that there actually is a truth. Uh, and we need to be people that are convinced that the word of God is absolutely true. And this is becomes the, the source of all that I believe. Uh, the scripture teaches everything that is true that I need to know. And since God is unchanging, the moral standards revealed in his word are also true. The way we ought to live our lives, the way we ought to think about each other, the way we ought to treat one another, they're, they're true in the word of God as well. Since we're fallen creatures and we're prone to Satan's lies and deception, the only way we can know the truth is to saturate our minds with the word of God. So how much time do you spend on a weekly basis, a daily basis? Is it important for you to get up in the morning and spend some time in the word of God to get your thoughts thinking the right things and moving in the right direction? Or is it the only time you really go into the word of God is Sunday morning when you sit here and listen to somebody preach? The only way you're going to develop the truth of the word of God, uh, the only way that's going to be really uh, developed in your mind is by spending time in the word. Then think on whatever's honorable. Uh, the word could be noble. It means that which inspires reverence or awe. 
uh, to dignified and worthy of respect. So Christians are to think about reverent things. Uh, God is the only one who truly inspires awe. God is the one who deserves our reverent thoughts as we come uh, before him. And then think on whatever is right. The word is used of God himself who is righteous and of Jesus Christ who is our righteousness. We're to be righteous people. To think on what is right means to think on the holy nature of God. It means to understand who we are in Christ uh, because that was especially revealed in him and to model it in our behavior after him. So again, what's your standard? What do you, what do, you do to try to live a life that's pleasing to God? Uh, who do you look to? Well, we look to Christ, who is our righteousness. Think on whatever is pure. The word refers to ceremonial purity, but also to moral purity. That's a picture that, uh, again, are, are keeping our bodies undefiled by abstaining from sexual sin. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, Don't let immorality or impurity or greed even be named among you, as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk, no coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So as Christians, we need to say no to the, the sexually impure culture and focus on moral purity. We are under assault daily, moment by moment almost, by a culture that is so bent on a, an immorality. It's a, a culture that is so bent on showing uh, what is not true as they think about gender, as they think about sex, as they think about the things in our world. Pornography is rampant among men in our culture. The, the average age now, first exposure is eight years of age. We live in a culture that's trying to destroy us with impurity. And so as Christians, Paul says, think on what is pure. Think about the things of God. Think about the word of God. He says, think on whatever is lovely. Uh, the word occurs only here in the New Testament, but it means to be pleasing, agreeable, attractive. At times we find ourselves attracted to that which is evil, but this word must be taken, uh, meaning that that which is pure and that which is attractive and that which brings us closer to Christ. Obviously, Jesus Christ is the inherently attractive one. We look to him and we model our lives after him. And then think on whatever's of good repute. It's a compound word, uh, meaning to speak well of something. Uh, something that deserves the, or something that deservedly enjoys a good reputation. And again, who is that? Well, that's Christ. Christ is the one who has the ultimate good reputation. We think about him. Now, after that list of the six items that, that uh, Dennis has already described for us, it ends with two, and Paul changes the sentence structure just a little bit. And I think by doing that, it's, it's actually saying these last two attributes are summaries. It's, it's almost a summary of the first six as well as saying anything else I may have forgotten uh, to sum it up. So he says, first of all, to sum up, uh, think of anything of virtue or anything of excellence. The word there, excellence, is, is common, but Peter used it as a quality of God. In 1 Peter 2.9, he says, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we may proclaim what? the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God is excellent. Uh, he has, has a moral virtue that is there. In 2 Peter, Peter says that God's divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So that means as a Christian, we must stop any behavior that is not in line with God's moral teaching and God's moral law and God's moral virtues. Uh, we can look to the Ten Commandments. We can look to the Sermon on the Mount. We can look uh, to Paul's list of deeds of the flesh and deeds of the Spirit. And to continue to do things that will 
hinder our growth and godliness, we need to put those aside and instead focus our minds on moral virtue. Think of the things that are excellent. Again, God is the only truly excellent thing in the universe. That's where our minds need to start. But think about the other things as we live out our daily lives. And then the last one to sum up, uh, think on anything worthy of praise. The word praise is used of what is praiseworthy in God throughout Scripture. Uh, the Psalms are, are constantly filled with praise the Lord and invoking us to come to him and give him praise and, and ascribe him glory and honor and worth that he is worthy of. The, the scenes in Revelation that we have of what it's going to be like in heaven, we stand before the throne of God saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and riches and blessing and might. And, and you know, we just we see these worship scenes in heaven. But it doesn't start in heaven, it starts now. We have the opportunity and privilege to praise God because he is worthy of our praise. We set our thoughts on how great God is, on the marvelous works he has done, and it, it should invoke in us praise that just wells up within us. Blameyers again said, certainly the church has preserved the concept of a loving God, a merciful God, a compassionate God, but have Christians generally themselves any vivid sense of God's power and dominion? Do we, when we worship God or when we reflect on his nature, catch a clear echo of his resounding and indomitable majesty? It cannot be denied that this is the God we are supposed to worship, not just a companionable God who is to be sidled up to and nestled against, but an awesome God before whom the worshiper prostrates himself, a wrathful God whose raised right arm can shake the universe. Think about the things of God and praise him. That's why as we come to, to worship on a Sunday, we start with a time to reflect and to meditate on who is God, how great is our God. It begins to, to, to transform our thinking as we come into worship that we can truly give him honor and glory and praise. Now, all of that, uh, those eight characteristics are all centered around the one imperative in that verse, which is dwell on these things or think on these things. Paul commands us to reflect on these qualities that stem from God and should be characteristic of us because we are the children of God. Give them weight in your decisions is another way to, to say it. Allow them to shape your conduct. So as you, you look at, at the things of God and you look at your own life and you see there's a disconnect and you begin to think more about the things of God and they begin to drive out the things of the world and begin to change your, your behavior and begin to change your thinking, uh, that's what Paul is saying. Ponder them. Let them change your mind. Let them change your attitudes. Let them change your behavior. Think about the things of God. Focus on God. Let Jesus Christ be your model and your example. Let the Spirit of God work within you, transforming you more and more into the image of Christ. Think on these things. Don't get pulled into the world. Don't get pulled into the world's way of thinking. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But instead, think on the things of God as represented by these eight characteristics. Now, quickly now, let's, let's look at verse 9, uh, which he says, The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice or do these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones said in this verse, he says, The gospel is not something we add to our lives. It's rather something which should entirely dominate them. The Christian life, therefore, is not merely a modification of a natural life. It's a brand new life. And Christians do not merely add something to their lives. They are people who have been changed at the center. They are entirely different. Verse 9 speaks to that. Verse 9 says, you know, Paul says, the things that you have learned, there, there's an intellectual component here. 
The Christian faith has content. The Christian faith has something that needs to be taught and needs to be learned. And that's why you, you come on Sundays and, and you, you hear the sermon or you go to Sunday school class and you study the Word of God or in your growth groups you're looking at particular books. Why? Because we want the intellectual component. We understand there's a body of truth that we as Christians need to grasp. And Paul says that's what we need, first of all, is that the things you have heard from me, the, the content of the faith is what you need to learn. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, We proclaim him, that is Christ, admonishing everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone complete in Christ. Admonishing, teaching, instructing. Uh, are you open to the word of God? The Christian faith has content that must be learned. The question is, are you studying and learning God's word? It doesn't happen without diligence and effort. It's not something that you can just uh, hope that's going to happen by, by having a Bible uh, tucked under your pillow at night. But there's also a volitional component that Paul mentioned. The content of the Christian faith needs to be responding. He says the things you have heard, or learned, and received. The idea that there's an action of receiving the things that we are learning, the things that we are hearing. Uh, again, the word means to take unto yourself, especially the traditions as delivered and handed down from Christ to the apostles. To receive the teaching concerning Christ is an act of your will. You don't have to. You can reject them. You can say, I don't really want to listen to him. I don't want to study him. I don't want to come to church. I don't want to read the Bible. But on the other hand, you, by an act of your will, you say, I do want to learn these things. I do want to receive from my teachers the things of the word of God. It means to submit your will uh, to the lordship of Christ and say, I want him to guide and direct my life through his word and through the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the gospel always demands not just an intellectual response, but also this moral response of saying, I receive the things that I've learned. Again, if you come here on a Sunday morning and you listen and you go away and you never change, it does you no good. But instead, if you make the choice and say, Lord, what I'm learning today, please help me apply it into my life this week that I might become more like Christ. That's that volitional component that is there. But there's also a behavioral component that Paul's, Paul mentioned that you've learned, received, heard, and seen in me, now practice. So here's the behavioral component. Are you really doing the things of the Word of God? Is your goal as you come and you study and you, you get into the Word and you, you hear sermons and as you study in your growth group, is your goal truly to be a changed person? You say, I desire to be more like Jesus. And as a result of that, I'm going to do the things through the, the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to practice the things that I'm learning. I'm going to put them into some kind of action in my life. Again, the Christian faith is, is something that needs to be lived out. It's not just something in our minds. One of the complaints against Reformed people, and I think sometimes it's valid, is that we've made our faith too, uh, too much of a mind thing. It's all about knowledge. The more you know, uh, then the better off you are. Sometimes I describe it as functional Gnosticism, that, that we think knowledge is what's going to make us better Christians. Well, knowledge is one part of that, and you receive that knowledge, but now you need to practice it. Knowledge without practice, faith without works, James says, is dead. So are you willing to live it out? Once you've learned things, are you saying, God, help me now through the power of your spirit to live this out in my life that I might become, again, more like Jesus John MacArthur said, never expose yourself to the ministry of someone whose lifestyle you can't respect. So part of this is also, are you living a life that's worthy of imitation? You know, thank God we have elders and we have pastors in this church who strive to follow God, who set themselves up as men who can be followed 
imitate them, follow them, strive to be like them. Uh, but again, man is not perfect. We use them to lead us to Christ. Christ is the only perfect one. But a man who teaches God's word also needs to live it with integrity. And then finally, uh, he said not only is there the, uh, uh, we have the intellectual, we have the volitional and behavioral, but now there's an emotional component. Look how he ends it. And the God of peace will be with you. Our world desperately needs peace. Uh, our lives desperately need peace. Uh, we are so worried and so anxious about so many things. Uh, and yet, if we do these things, if we practice these things, if we have filled our minds with the right things, if the Spirit of God is working within us, we will have peace. Not peace with God. Notice Paul says the peace of God. The peace of God will be given to you uh, and, and placed in your life. And again, verses 6 and 7 uh, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Are you anxious about things? Are you worried about things? Are, are you just hoping that things are going to turn out? Are, are you not sure what tomorrow's going to bring? Are you struggling with different things? Do you want the peace of God, which will guard your hearts and minds? Well, one way we do that is to begin practicing. We learn it, we receive it, we embrace it, and we practice it. And not only through our prayers, but also through our actions, the God of peace will be with us. So let me give you a big takeaway. The big takeaway is once we are converted through faith in Christ, we begin the process of sanctification or growth and holiness. Through the renewal of our minds, through Scripture, and the corresponding changes in our conduct so that we learn to please God with our lives. Let me read that again. Once we are converted through faith in Christ, we begin the process of sanctification or growing in holiness through the renewal of our minds through Scripture and the corresponding changes in our conduct so that we learn to please God with our lives. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to live a life that is pleasing to God? Don't we want to be able, when we get before him, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? And the way we do that now is to begin transforming our minds and our thinking and embracing and, and holding on to the word of God and be transformed by it. It's interesting, again, that Paul says we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's the key to the Christian life. And the reason why non-Christians can't, because their minds haven't been changed. They can't understand spiritual truth, but you can. If you have come to faith in Christ, you can understand the spiritual things. It's interesting that gospel, part of the gospel is repent and believe, and that word repent actually means to change your way of thinking. So if you've become a Christian, you've repented of your past, or repented of your sins, you've changed your way of thinking, and now you're open to that new way that God has for you. Our thinking must be changed from old ungodly ways of thinking into the new godly ways of thinking. What we know in our minds to be true forms the conviction in our hearts, and our conviction in our hearts then translates into action. Therefore, we begin to live out uh, our life because we are renewing our minds. And the only way to replace the error of the world's way of thinking is to replace it with God's truth. The only way to get the air out of the bottle is put something else in. Uh, put the good things of God, the good things of God's word, the truth of the word of God into your life, and it will begin to drive out uh, the bad. It will begin to drive out the stuff of this world. It will begin to drive out the worry and the anxiety and the fear that might be there. Transformation through renewed minds comes as we expose ourselves to God's word. As, as we hear it not only through faithful exposition each week, but in your personal study. As you, you spend time each day in the word of God asking God, show me from your word. 
what is your truth. Your word is a, a light to my path. Uh, so, so light up my path today, Lord. Help me understand what you want me to do. Also, we hear it through the singing. We have wonderful music that, that also teaches us the word of God through the songs that we sing. We also have in our growth groups as we, we study the Bible together and we have it in our personal time with the Lord. A solid church that I believe CVPC is believes in preaching the word, believes in reading the word, believes in singing the word, and believes in studying the word of God. That's how we transform our minds. There are no shortcuts. There's no easy uh, you know, three-step process. It's going to take hard work and diligence. There's no magic formula for renewing our minds. But we will fill our minds with God's word. And as Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in the truth because your word is truth. Let me pray as we close. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, thank you that you are transforming us and renewing us every day. Father, would you help us to realize that we need to put the good stuff in? So give us the motivation, give us the diligence, give us the commitment to spend time in your word each day, trusting that as we do that, you are transforming us. You're making us something new. You're making us more like Jesus, and we will, in fact, live to your honor and your glory. So, Father, thank you for your word uh, speak to us through your, your word and your spirit that you would be glorified in our lives. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen.